We're going to be looking this morning in Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And as you're making your way over to Romans chapter 1, a little, uh, some of y'all who know me know how this works, um, a little country music trivia for you. How many of you know who Luke Bryan is? Okay. How many of you heard his new hit single, um, um, I Believe Most People Are Good? Okay. How many of you like the song? Okay. It seems that this madly popular country singer whose song I actually like, it's a catchy tune, is having a profound impact on the church in America. This recent hit, I believe most people are good, captures what a 2018 survey of evangelical Christians revealed that the majority of us also believe. Can I just go ahead and tell you before I read the lyrics? It's a catchy song. It's terrible theology. And Romans 1 is going to blow it to smithereens this morning before we're done. But the chorus goes, I believe most people are good. And most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. Now that part's true, right? Amen, mama. Go mama. All right. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. Oh, really? I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. Unbelievably catchy tune. It's a feel-good song. It just ain't so. When asked by Ligonier Ministries to respond to the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, in a 2018 survey, 52% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. That should scare you. When asked to respond to this statement, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. This was nationwide. This was not evangelicals only. This was all Americans. Even the smallest sin, and the implication here is before a holy God, deserves eternal damnation. 69% of Americans as a whole disagreed. That should tell you the church isn't doing a great job with the truth. Because hear me, that statement is false. Oh, excuse me, true. Which one am I on? Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Yes, it does. Further, an alarming 51% of evangelicals agreed when asked to respond to this statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism... And Islam. Does truth about God really matter? Does it really matter what we believe about mankind and sin and the holiness of God and the wrath of God and the gospel of God? But the more concerning thing to me this morning is this do you? Know what the Bible says about each of these. How would you have answered those questions? Or would you have been one of the professing American evangelicals who denied basic gospel truths that are central to what it means to know and follow Jesus according to the Word of God? So this morning we continue our study of the book of Romans. We started last week 
we're looking at this amazing book, this massive magnum opus of Paul's under the heading, Romans, the gospel of the righteousness of God. This is a book, a letter written to the church in Rome about how to be right with God, how to have righteousness in the presence of righteous and holy God. And this morning, we come to a difficult but foundational and very crucial truth concerning the gospel, namely, the message this morning, the righteous wrath of God. When's the last time you heard a sermon on the wrath of God, right? Romans chapter 1, we already read verses 14 to 17, and we'll be, before it's through, we're through this morning, we'll be looking uh, all the way through verse 32. Here's the take-home truth about the, the righteous wrath of God. Every person, every person, is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God, apart from faith in the gospel of God. Now, remember the bookends that we looked at, right? Just a verse before it says the wrath of God is revealed, the first thing Paul told the Romans is the righteousness of God is revealed. And Romans 3 makes that clear. The way you can be righteous before God is to take as a gift righteousness from Jesus who lived in your place, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again. There is unbelievably good news. A world of sinners can be made right with holy God. But we must understand the wrath of God from which Jesus came to save us. And we must understand clearly, every person, with no exceptions, is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God, apart from faith in the gospel of God. The first thing I want you to see about the wrath of God this morning is I want you to see in in verse, and you can, it'll all be on the screen. I'm going to skip around throughout the text. I'm not going to, we're not going to read the whole text. We're just going to go right to the, to the main verses that uh, come under each point. The first thing I want you to see is the present reality of God's wrath. When you think of God's wrath, how many of you think of God's wrath as something future? How many of you think judgment day? Oh, you don't think judgment day when you think God's wrath? Well, what are you doing? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you, we typically, when we hear the, the, the wrath of God, we think judgment, right? Understand, the present reality of God's wrath. Verse 18, the first part. For the wrath of God is revealed. In the, in the Greek language here, this is a present, uh, present tense. It, it means it is presently and continually being revealed. The wrath of God is presently and continually being revealed right now from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You see, God's wrath is not just a future reality. God's wrath is continually being revealed in the right here and the right now. Now you say, I don't see that. How, 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 how does that work? I, I don't see sinners under the wrath of God. I see sinners doing what sinners do, just sinning, loving it, enjoying it, having a big time in it. How is it, Chad, that the wrath of God, or Paul, because I didn't say it, I just read Paul's words. How is it, Paul, that the wrath of God is currently being revealed today? 
verse 24 tells us. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, the first part, for this reason, God gave them up. The world, the world of humanity, a world of sinners is making choices to, 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 to not believe God and, and, and sync up with his truth. And so it says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Down in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what did God do? God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. How is it that the wrath of God is presently and continually being revealed in this world, God is right now in his wrath giving sinners over to their sin. He's saying, you want this particular sin? Have it. You want to enjoy this particular sinful pleasure? Do it. And instead of pouring out wrath and judgment on sinners today, he is letting them go further and deeper into the, down the spiral of sin. And what is happening according to Romans 2 verse 5, we'll look at that in a few weeks, a couple weeks maybe, it says, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What's, what's happening in God giving over sinners to their own sin? How does it relate to the day of judgment? You are storing up, Paul says, wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, there will be a future and final day of judgment when God's full vengeance and fury will be meted out against the sin of every person who has not turned from sin and turned to Jesus in saving faith. But in the meantime, the wrath of God, this text tells us, is a present reality that gives sinners over to exactly what their hearts desire and allows them to continue to pile up ever-increasing wrath against themselves. And so, though we don't see the judgment of God very often on sinners in this world, what we are seeing in the ever-deepening sinfulness of mankind is the reality of God's judgment giving them over to their sin. With the result that they are piling up more and more of the wrath of God against the day of judgment unless they repent. The present reality of God's wrath. That is your world that you live in. That is, that is the condition, that is the, 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 the reality for every person you know who doesn't know Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that is your reality. The wrath of Almighty God is being revealed against your ungodliness now. And God is saying to you, you want sin, you have it. You want sin, you think sin's going to make you more happy than me? Then have it. Judgment day will come. And your deservingness of, of my wrath and actual judgment will be greater on that day for every day that you continue to choose the beauty of sin, the fleeting beauty and pleasures of sin over my everlasting and infinite beauty in Christ. But secondly, notice with me our personal responsibility for God's wrath. Second part of verse 18, 
First part, he says the wrath of God is being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Verse 8 is that second part. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. God doesn't need a preacher right here. He's the preacher. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, that is all of humanity. Let, let me just clarify this, a good place to, to clarify this. We are talking in Romans 1, 18 to 32 about all of humanity. He's going to break it down in chapters 2 and 3. He's going to talk about the Gentiles a little more specifically, the, the Jews, just to make sure that everybody's clear that nobody's left out. But right now he's talking about everybody. And at the end of chapter 3, he's going to come back to everybody. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but... They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Is that not the world in which we live? Is that not the bent of your own heart? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, the knowledge of God, according to this verse, these verses, is revealed and innately known by every person who has ever lived. You see, this is our responsibility, our personal responsibility for God's wrath. But we suppress the truth with our sin. That's what this verse, these verses say. You, did you catch that when you were reading? Who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. That's, that's me and you apart from Christ. There's been a resurgence in the years since 9-11 in atheism by some guys called the New Atheists. You may have heard of some of these guys. The late, he's, he, he died about in, uh, sometime in 2017, the late Christopher Hitchens. Interesting, uh, he wrote a book called Mortality. He recorded his dying journey. Some chapters are only one sentence long. He, he actually was able to the end of his life almost, cons almost fully consistently live out his philosophy, his lie, to himself about atheism. Another guy, Richard Dawkins, Oxford professor. Sam Harris, maybe one of the one of, probably the most uh, vitriolic, just violent almost in in his uh, hatred for Christianity, and also Daniel Dennett. These are much more aggressive and angry than the classical atheists that you learned about in school. They've all written books, and, and all their books have been bestsellers in the last couple of years. What's interesting is that the result has not been a huge surge in atheism. What has surged, and perhaps is more concerning, is the number of people who have begun to disconnect from all facets of religion, even atheism. In fact, so many people have done this that there's actually a name for this group. It's an option on the census now. Your religious affiliation, you can put none. And this group is now called the nuns, not N-U-N-S. You've got a very specific religion if you're a nun that way, but a nun, an N-O-N-E. 
Currently, this group is at about 23% of our population, which is up from 16% in 2007 and only 7% back in the 1990s. In 25 years, this particular demographic of, demographic of, demographic of our uh, society have tripled. Almost unheard of statistically. And this number will probably all only increase. 35% of millennials put themselves in this category with that number heavily weighted toward males. Most nuns would say, we're not hostile toward a spiritual faith in God, like atheists, and especially the new atheist. We're just done with organized religion and God in general. We just don't really have a need. Another way of saying it, it's not that they found atheism to be attractive. It's just that they find any kind of organized religion or religious confession unattractive. And they say, if there is a God, I'm not so sure we can really know that much about him. And if you claim to know something about him, you're just going to become a bigot and you're an arrogant know-it-all who knows nothing in actuality. So the nuns suppress the truth by basically becoming agnostics, those who say we can't know if there's a God. And suppress the clear reality of God so that they can do what they want to do in, the, in, in life without any real moral check or reference point. What's crazy is that the new atheists and the nuns alike reject or just ignore the reality of God against good reason, even good scientific reason. What does Paul mean when he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely the eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are, so they are without excuse. What does he mean? He's talking about some science. And it's interesting, good scientists have pointed out about the, uh, the, the reality of the sheer improbability of all the complexities of life just forming out of a mute, unguided chaos. Good scientists have said, there's no way it just happened, according to evolutionary biology. Even the most basic molecules and DNA strands are incredibly complex Enough so that you wonder, how could a cosmic accident ever result in the digital elegance of a DNA strand? You don't have to be a scientist to read that science, right? To see the Godhead in that. To see the creative power of the Almighty. Someone said it's like thinking an explosion in an ink factory accidentally produced the collected works of Shakespeare. How dumb can you be? It just depends on how bad you want to avoid God. And if you've got a PhD, you write it up such that you can avoid God and sound smart and convince people that your science is good when it's junk. Y'all all right? In recent years, scientists have made a big deal out of how finely tuned our universe seems to be to sustain life. They call it the anthropo- an- 
They call it the anthropic principle, and it states that there are multiple factors that are so precise that if they were off even by a hair, life on this planet could not exist. This is what scientists tell us. All scientists agree on this. Are you with me? Not just Christian scientists. All scientists agree. For example, and this is just one of many, the makeup of our atmosphere, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.5% argon, 0.03% carbon dioxide. If you play with those levels much at all, here's the kind of things that happen. If the CO2 were just a little higher or just a little lower, then the earth would either become an oven or have no atmosphere at all. Or if the level of oxygen dropped by 6%, we would all suffocate. But if it rose by 4%, our planet would erupt into a giant fireball, just spontaneously. All scientists agree on this. But Paul says, you don't have to know any of that. Paul says to you this morning, take a walk outside this afternoon and just look. Just pay attention. Look at creation. And what you'll see is all you need to see. And you'll consequently know all you need to know to worship God as God and Creator and to be responsible for Him to thank Him for His goodness in creating a world that sustains your life. So even tribes in Papua New Guinea who have no scientific knowledge of our world and can't understand the details of the complexities of the balance of the cosmos that we just described from science or of an individual microscopic cell, these men and women are justly under the wrath of God because God has revealed himself to them in creation and they have turned their backs on the revelation of creation and they've not acknowledged him as God and they've not said, God, thank you for giving me life on this planet. It's interesting, Jesus spoke to this whole deal in John 3, verses 19 and 20. He said, this is the judgment The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You see, it's not about whether there is a reality called light. The reality is people avoid the light because they love what they do in the dark. It's not about an argument for the light. It's not about being intellectually convinced. There's light. J.D. Greer tells the story of being in an audience with a professor over at, I think it's over at, either Wake Forest or UNC over in North Carolina. <clears throat> under uh, His name is Dr. Bart Ehrman. He is a, was a, formerly a Christian who became an atheist, now one of the most outspoken atheists of our day. And he was there with... with uh, some students, and a student asked Dr. Ehrman, is there anything that, you, that would cause you to regain your faith? In response, Bart Ehrman quoted a passage from his book, God's Problem, and he said, I think that if in fact God Almighty appeared to me 
and gave me an explanation for all the evil in the world. And the explanation was so overpowering that I actually could understand, then I'd be the first to fall on my knees in humble submission and adoration. What an arrogant, arrogant, arrogant man. What's he assuming in that statement? Just on an elementary level, you know what he's assuming? He's assuming that if God had a a purpose for a situation, which he does, but that if God had and wanted to explain to Dr. Ehrman his reason and purpose in that particular situation, Bart Ehrman is assuming that Bart Ehrman would be smart enough to immediately perceive and understand and grasp the argument of the Almighty for what he did in the world as he explains it to one of his billions of created image bearers. And what he's assuming is that if he can't see it and if God hadn't given him that argument, then it's not there. But let me ask you to consider this, and I've asked you this before. How much greater is God's wisdom than ours? Mr. real simple. If there is a God... The distance between his wisdom and ours is infinite. And so you must concede that if there is a God, if, if, if you concede there's a God, that, that, then it, it, it's, not, it's, it's not some kind of crazy leap to just accept, I can't understand everything about him or he wouldn't be God. I can't understand all his purposes and his reasons. Because he, or else he wouldn't be God. So what's the atheist's real problem? It's not an intellectual problem or lack of true knowledge that God exists. It's an arrogant heart problem. Now, I believe that many atheists are genuinely deceived by their own sinful hearts and minds and enslaved to the lies they tell themselves about God and that they sincerely believe the lie that, they, that there is no God. They're genuinely believing those things. But ultimately, the issue is the heart. John Piper said it this way. The issue of truth is an issue of the heart before it is an issue of the head. According to our text, Romans 1. When the head is in love with self-exaltation and independence and the pleasures of sin, the mind will inevitably distort the truth or suppress the truth in order to protect the idols of the heart. What is needed is not just new ideas or more information, but a new heart. Pastor Tim Keller, he pastored Redeemer Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in New York City for a number of years. And after he'd done his best job trying to train high school students who would graduate and go away to college, he would still deal with the reality that a year or two later they'd come back to the church there in New York City and um, they'd just stop by or they'd bump into each other at the store and they'd they'd say to Keller, they'd say, Pastor, I've... I've just gotten over my, the faith of my childhood. I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. I've, I've renounced my faith. And, you know, I've been exposed to so much, uh, so many things intellectually. I've been, my, 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 my horizons have been broadened. I've, I've seen so much science and philosophy. And, and, and I've just turned my back on Jesus. And Tim Keller would look at this young man or this young woman and say, when did you start sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Almost without fail. 
these young people were having sex with their boyfriend and girlfriend. And all of a sudden, just like Romans 1, it wasn't about an argument about the reality of God or the truth of Christianity or the, 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 the reality of the gospel. It was about, I've got to figure out how to justify the way I'm choosing and want to live with every fiber of my being. Every person who's ever lived on this planet or ever will is bound, according to Romans 1, in the chains of his or her own sin and cannot be freed from the, apart from the gospel of God and the life-creating, new heart-giving power of the Holy Spirit. All of humanity is personally responsible for the wrath of God that is being revealed against us. And therefore, God's wrath against every person on the planet, hear me, is righteous wrath. It's just wrath. Apart from Jesus, we all, as the, as the human race, deserve his wrath. Is that clear from this text? That's the best I can do. Every person is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God, apart from faith in the gospel of God. Thirdly, this morning and finally, we've seen the present reality of God's wrath. We've seen our personal responsibility for God's wrath. Notice with me lastly, our perverse responses even under God's wrath. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever, Paul has to just take a minute and worship Amen. Paul's like, I, I don't want to miss the reality of this universe, and that is the Creator is blessed forever. He's worthy of praise. I just need to slow down long enough to say amen because I don't want to get anywhere close to exchanging the truth of God that He's worthy of worship for a lie that says something on this planet holds my attention, is, it, 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 was, it deserves my affection more than He does. Our perverse responses, even under God's wrath, we exchange the truth about God for a lie, and we worship not the Creator, but the things He created. Whether that be us, ourselves, right? In some sort of narcissistic self-worship, arrogance, pride, whatever it may be. Some cultures, actually other creatures created things. You see, the opposite of faith is in God is not atheism, J.D. Greer says. It is idolatry. The human heart is an idol factory, C.S. Lewis would say. You will worship something. You are today worshiping someone or something. Your heart beats to worship. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. No person ever quits believing in God. They just substitute something into his place. What else do our perverse responses, even under the wrath of God, look like? Does that make sense to you? Our per perverse responses, even under, we've said already, it is a present reality. Even now, as it's being poured out, as we're being given over, we continue to go down the spiral. Apart from Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, we continue to go down the spiral of sin. Verse 26, the second part, for their women exchange natural relations to those that are contrary 
to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Homosexuality is being described here. Already earlier it's been described as just in general sexual perversity. The wrong use of God-created, God-ordained, sanctioned, and beautified gifts. The perversion of those things is what is in view here. But in case any of us think we aren't included in the damning effects of sin that God can't possibly have ever, or that God can't possibly have ever had any real reason to have any real wrath toward relatively good people like us, Paul pins verses 29 to 32. I mean, so far you're feeling pretty good about yourself, aren't you? I mean, if you're not living in sexual perversion of some sort at this point, if you're not living the homosexual lifestyle or, or you know, being unfaithful or, 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 or doing something crazy sexually, then you're feeling pretty good about yourself so far. And then comes verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. American church, listen to the next word and don't miss it. Covetousness. The love of money. Malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. So far you may be thinking, man, I'm, 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 yeah, maybe a little edgy on a couple of those, but not too bad. They are gossips. Slanderers. Haters of God. Insolent. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, teenagers and and children in the room, listen to what I'm saying, listen to what I'm reading, look at the Word of God on the screen, disobedient to parents. It's a big deal. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then Paul says, though they, and by the way, not just sexually perverse or homosexuals, but all that are listed in verses 29 to 31 that we just read, including you and me. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You know what verse 32 tells us? Takes it a step further than where we've been so far in this message. Not only do all know that God is the eternal creator from reading the creation around them. Verse 32 says, all know innately. Enough of God's moral decree that they know they deserve to die for their sin. You knew it before God saved you. I knew it in my heart of hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 puts it this way, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, any Jews in the room? So it's speaking to you, you're a Gentile, amen? For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. 
In other words, when they behave according to the moral principles of God as revealed in the written law given to Israel, verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written where? On their hearts. Who did that? Who wrote God's moral law on the hearts of unbelieving Gentiles? Who don't have the law? The same person who wrote God's infinite power and and Godhead into creation, God did. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You see, we watch our world love its sin and cheerlead one another to go deeper and deeper into sin together. Not only do they do these awful things that deserve death, they give approval of those who practice them. They know they deserve to die. They still do the sins, and they say, you go. Go harder in sin. Oh, God forbid that we as followers of Jesus would continue in sin ever when we, once we realize it and approve, moreover, of those who do. That would, would it not be the, the most unloving thing we could ever possibly do is approve of sin and not say about sin in this world what God says about sin? Right? Because, you see, every person is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God. And if we just say it's okay, it's not okay. There's no alarm sounded into their soul about the truth that they are deservingly under the righteous wrath of God, apart from faith in the gospel of God. The question this morning is, do you, sir, do you, ma'am, need to trust Jesus today because you realize maybe for the first time, that you right now are under the everlasting holy wrath of Almighty God. But church, do you need to tell somebody about Jesus not a month from now, but tomorrow? Because maybe you'd forgotten that that person that's been on your heart but you've not yet shared the gospel with is deservingly under the righteous wrath of Almighty God apart from faith in the gospel of God. You see, the wrath of God is it rests on any person who has never trusted Jesus alone as Savior and followed Him as Lord. Oh, may we run to God's grace in Jesus and may we point every other sinner to our Savior. May we, like Paul, not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's something that will overcome the wrath of God. It is the power of God and the salvation. It is the gospel of God. It is the righteousness of God given to us in Jesus. May we not be ashamed of that message, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May we proclaim the message that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe is real and is available. And that men, women, boys, and girls can be justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Will you, sir, will you, ma'am, trust Jesus as your rescuer from God's just wrath toward you today? Today can be the day of your salvation. And will you, Christian... Proclaim Jesus as the only rescuer from wrath to your world this week. 
Jonathan Edwards, during the Great Awakening, he never raised his voice like I do mine. With little beady eyes and a frail body, he stood behind the pulpit and read words in a very monotone tone. And in a message called, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he described the plight of a sinner under the wrath of God as one dangling by a spider's thread over the fires of hell with the flames of hell reaching up, just ready to lick that spider's web in two and for that sinner to drop eternally to destruction forever. You say, man, Chad, I've never heard you do one of them hellfire damnation sermons. We need to be reminded it's real. The grace of God, it's bigger, it's stronger. There is rescue. There is hope. There is salvation. But may we never forget the hair's breadth that separates lost souls today from eternity. Lost souls, you know, and you have the remedy. Jackie Hill Perry in her book, Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been, describes her own conversion this way. A thorough survey of my own heart, led entirely by the Holy Spirit, allowed me to see what I'd never seen. That I not only needed freedom from homosexuality, but from all sin. I was holistically in need of God. Who gave mercy my address? Or told it how to get to my room? Didn't it know a sinner lived in it? On the way down the hall, shouldn't the smell of idols have kept its feet from moving any closer to me? Then I remembered the one verse of the Bible that I knew by heart. This is on the night of her salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. She says, the same Bible that condemned me held in it the promises that could save me. I just had to see it and believe it. It being what the Bible said about him, that is God. Jesus had the guilty in mind when he was hung high and stretched out wide. On it, he died in my place for my sin. He, bare-bodied and face set on joy, became as a slaughtered lamb underneath the wrath of God. You would think his father would have a better memory than that. Didn't he know that 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 wrath was mine? It even had my name on it, but he, he did know. His justice wouldn't allow him to forget, and that's what we've seen this morning. His love is what he wanted me to know and remember. And I did. And so I pray, what you are calling me to do, I can't do it on my own. But God, I know enough about you to know that you will help me. I said to God, my new friend, I didn't know that the confession of my inability to please him and the shifting of my back toward the sins I had previously embraced was repentance. Nor did I recognize that my resolve to believe that 
he could be to me what no one else, not even another woman could be, was faith. But it was. Without asking my permission, a good God had come to my rescue. You see, every person on the planet is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God. But the righteousness of God has been given in Jesus and can be received by anyone as a gift, as a life-changing, heart-transforming gift that includes the presence of Jesus' own Spirit living within us that doesn't leave us as we were but changes us. This is the gospel of God.